0: nice to have you on board for the very last episode of the boys of tech for this year this is episode number 48 and it's monday the 21st of december 2009 well it's uh again another episode without brett he's not with us at the moment but he will join us again next year which isn't really not that far away now now just want to dive straight into the stories uh keep the episode short first up something that's Potentially a little worrying, apparently Iraqi insurgents have been obtaining the video feeds, the live video feeds, from the US Predator drones. Yeah, they've basically been, uh, uh, I'm trying to avoid the word hacking, because that's what the media's uh, reporting, that they've been hacking. They haven't really been hacking in the traditional sense of the term, uh, but they have been uh, obtaining... Uh, you know the feed; they've been view- they're, they're able to view the live video of those drones, of of what the drones can see. And I, I guess, I mean, you know, okay, they can't control the, the drones. They haven't, uh, you know, they they can't send commands to the drones, but they can see what the drones are seeing, which does, I I guess, give give the opposition some some advantage because they can, uh, I guess, determine where the the drones are and. And from that, they can kind of work out perhaps some of the strategies and things like that. So it's it's a wee bit of a concern. The US say that the drones currently are using unencrypted channels, uh, so that's why they're able to do it. And In fact, they've just used off-the-shelf software programs like SkyGrabber. You can get yourself a copy of that for twenty-six bucks on the internet. Yeah, and it's been going on for some time now. So the US is now starting to move to encrypting those. Uh, communication links, which kind of makes sense, and I don't know why they'd be doing that without encryption, but it's now prompted them to shift gear and actually fix up those unencrypted channels with some encryption. Uh, they Apparently they use at least 600 of these unmanned vehicles. It was said some time ago that the new wars will be fought using the internet, and I, I think we can see where, where this has the potential to go. I mean, eventually, we're probably going to see stories where people have managed to hack into the command channels of, of these drones and things imagine if you manage to do that uh, you can turn a drone away from you and, and you reprogram it to to attack the the source so I think that's how new wars will eventually be fought more and more using the internet so that the, so those are the dangers of actually using the you know this technology which obviously has its advantages clearly you know you don't have to put a pilot in one of these things that's Fantastic from the point of view of reducing casualties, but then you have all these other problems that open up that, that you really need to make sure that you have covered because that's where the weaknesses may, may well lie. And that's potentially one way that the opposition can turn this against you. And on a similar theme, this is a bit of a worry. RockU provides a bunch of widgets on MySpace and Facebook And millions of people have been using these widgets. And guess what? RockU has been compromised. Their database has been compromised. And now they're advising all 33 million users to change their passwords. So this hack has potentially affected 32.6 million users. Now that's scary. If Brett was here, it'd be a good opportunity for me to tell him. See, that's why I don't use Facebook. But he's not here for me to do that. Now, how was it done? I think it was uh, it was an SQL a SQL injection, basically something very simple. But you know what's worse, and I th- th- this this really baffles me. Rock you were storing the passwords in plain text. In fact. Probably more systems that you realize do this. If, you, if you've ever used a system and you've forgotten your password and you follow the link that says, I forgot my password, and you, you, know, you jump through the hoops you need to jump through, and then eventually it tells you what your password is or, or it emails you the, your password, well, for it to be able to do that, those passwords are stored in plain text. And that's re- that's just, that just breaks all the rules. You know, I've designed a a number of online applications and I certainly never, I have never ever stored passwords in plain text. So on my systems, uh, you you know, if you forget your password, you can still get by. It just, it won't tell you what your password was, but if you jump through the necessary hoops, you then get a special uh, link that allows you to reset your password. You know, you basically... Pick a new password and, and away you go. But you'll never be able to find out what your password was. And even I can't find out. I can look at the database and I'll just see a whole heap of encrypted stuff because that's how I store the passwords. And that's how people should be doing it. So, <laughs> you know, with, with the RockYou widgets, you know, you can have as complex a password as you can think of but it makes no difference because once their database is compromised, they've got your password right there in plain text. Doesn't matter if it's five characters long or 50 characters long; it's just as easy for them to use it, copy, paste, and away we go. This is scary stuff, and it just I think highlights the 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 amount of trust that people are putting into these third-party tools without really, I, I guess, thinking further, or or perhaps, or perhaps more accurately, not really caring. That's got to be one of the biggest cases of a compromised database, surely. 33 million passwords. Anyway, I'm over it now. So so moving on, Google has lost a copyright case in France. Now, this is going to be an interesting one. Google said that on Friday they lost a case in Paris over copyright for the books they were scanning. So Google has been ordered to pay 300,000 euros in damages uh, and an interest as well to French company La Martinière. Now, what had happened is Google had been scanning books, as as we know, uh, and these excerpts are available on the web when you run Google book searches. And La Martinière's argument was that Google should compensate authors and publishers if they're going to use the content on their site, which in a way seems fair enough. And I, I think we, we were talking about this some time ago with, with Brett on this, on this very show, and on top of that, every day that goes by before Google's removed all the extracts, it's going to cost them 10,000 euros. Yeah, so <laughs> they better get moving because 10,000 euros a day is is not to be sneezed at. Uh, obviously, Google's unhappy with the, the, the verdict, and they say they plan to appeal. So it's now going uh, to the next stage, and we have to wait and see what's going to happen there. To be honest, I... I I do see the value that Google are, you know, and what Google are doing, you know, preserving these these books that one day you may never see again. Well, at least not in print. So in a way, they are preserving an important part of our history and culture. But on the other hand, the way they've gone about it is, is, well, basically like a bull out of a gate, you know, they've just taken these books, scanned them, and away they go. Haven't bothered to seek permission or anything like that. To me, I think they've gone around about it the wrong way. Their heart's in the right place, but they've just gone about it the, the wrong way. And I, you know, to be honest, I'm I'm really not that surprised about this verdict because, you know, if it were anyone else, I mean, you know, of course they'd they'd get the same sort of ruling. You know, you know, you can't just take someone's content, scan it, and use it in your on you know in your online service. You can't do that, at least not without permission. I think uh, that's why we're seeing the the verdict that we're seeing. As I said, Google's not happy. They're going to appeal, and I think that's going to happen next year, so (laughs) we'll have to come back to that one. And really, I think that's pretty much it for the international stories, but we do have a bunch of New Zealand stories, uh, so tell you what, let's take a short break, and we'll look at those when we come back. Don't go away. Welcome back. Now, a Christchurch businessman is hoping that his new service will one day be as familiar as Google or Facebook, pretty much the next big tool to make sense of a tangled web of internet data. So here's the thing. You're looking for information on the internet, say, I don't know, photography. So you go and do a Google search. Now, as you know, when you do a Google search, you get some good pages that are of interest to you that are very relevant, and you get some, you know... Not so relevant pages, you know, the the trash that you have to wade through, and if you use Bing, you get mostly trash. But anyway, why are we getting all this trash that we have to wade through? Well, the answer is, is that it's a it's a search engine, it's a machine that is producing the resu- the results for us, and a machine can never be as good as a human. Uh, it can be quicker, but it can't be as good as so here's the thing. If imagine if you know you'd spent some time searching for sites on photography, maybe tips and tricks and how to, you know, how to produce great photos, something like that. And you've waded through, I don't know, maybe a couple of hundred sites, and you've whittled a, a sort of a, a short list down to maybe I don't know six or seven sites that are of really good value to you. Now imagine if you could somehow create like a playlist, like almost like an iTunes playlist of those sites. Well that's exactly what QNet is about. So the whole idea of this QNet system is that it's user contributed. It's kind of a community thing. And you can search the results of these playlists. Now by the way, these playlists are, are called queues. And that's kind of neat because over time what you'll be able to do is reproduce the search results that someone has spent the time doing by wading through all the you know the drafts and throwing it out. So that's effectively what you're doing when you use this QNET system. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do a quick example. And for the listeners at home, you can follow me on this. If you go to pageq.com, so that's pageq as in P-A-G-E-Q dot com. And in the search field, let's say we're looking for, I don't know, photography tips. And we click the search button. And now I get two results, one called beauty, one called photography. Uh, just looking at the description, I think photography is more what I'm after. So I click on that and you get a uh, basically a playlist of sites. There's, I think, uh, about eight or nine sites there. And these are things, these, as I say, these are the results that someone has whittled down from doing a similar search. So they've thrown out all the dross and hopefully if you're looking for the same thing as this person was looking for, you know, the person that created this queue, then you're onto some winner sites. So in fact, the first one, this is kind of ironic, but the first page in the queue is actually a Google results search, which almost defeats the purpose. But hey, maybe it's a good starting spot. And you'll notice that when uh, you you don't need to do anything, it it kind of plays the playlist, if you like, It, it loads each site up page by page in turn, kind of like a slideshow. And the next one there is, is a page, uh, in fact, from Wikipedia. So I guess that can be useful. And then the next one on the list is photographycourse.net. And it looks like that's a, a site on uh, tips and tricks uh, for better photography and what equipment you'll need and stuff like that. And so on. And it, key, and it plays this playlist. And you can pause the playlist so you can then start browsing the site that you're currently looking at and so on. It's a new concept in searching the net. And as I mentioned earlier... The, the real benefits are that it's user generated. So it's not a machine that's created this playlist of, of sites because that's just what a search engine does. So this is better than a search engine. Someone has actually compiled this into a playlist. So if this takes off, I think this can be a, a really neat thing. The company behind this is Aspiring Software based in Christchurch. So yeah, good on them. This is This is really neat stuff. And uh, you know, I'm, I've actually used it a couple of times already, and I, I really like it. Now, it wouldn't replace my Google searches. I'm still gonna, in fact, like it. E- anything when I'm searching, I kind of want to hit as many different angles as possible. You know, I might go to Wikipedia and have a look there. I might do a Google search. I might uh, go to PageQ. Uh, I might do a, a bunch of different stuff, even Twitter. <laughs> and Brett's not here to criticize me using Twitter now, so that's great. But anyway, uh, as I say, it wouldn't it wouldn't replace my use of search engines, but it would complement them. And I I think it's a really good thing and I wish them all the very best with it. Good stuff. Right, moving on, a nice little story here to show how closely people are connected these days, especially with the social networking sites. So Rowan Simpson was driving along the, the desert road and he noticed a camera had fallen off the roof of the car in front of him. So he stops to pick up the camera and he can't catch up to the car in front of him from where the camera fell. So what does he do? Well, he tries a little experiment. He hooks it up to his computer, grabs one of the photos, uh, well, I think it was a group shot, and posts it on Twitter. And he says, does, his tweet is, do you know these people? And how long do you think it took for, for someone to re- respond? The answer is 26 minutes. He had a hit. So 26 minutes, he he managed to determine who was in that photo and therefore uh, who, who the camera belonged to. It's a neat little experiment about the whole six degrees of separation theory. And in fact, some suggest that in New Zealand, because we're such a small country, it's only two degrees of separation. And in case you're wondering, the person who lost the camera is John Wesley Smith. Uh, he's a manager at Telecom. And he was stoked uh, when he learned about this. He says, I didn't know where and how I lost it. I wasn't expecting to get it back. So there you go. And, you know, back in the old days, you'd hand it into a police station and, well, you might be lucky and get it back. But to be quite honest, more often than not, you probably wouldn't. Uh, And now nowadays with Twitter, I mean, and other social networking sites, you you can, we are so much more connected. The world is now a much smaller place. But uh, strangely enough, there's a lot more information out there too. But that's another story. Okay, and finally, now we all heard about the major Telecom XT network outage. Yeah, that's the one that from, I think, Taupo South was completely out for about half a day. So it's a bit embarrassing for Telecom. I mean, they've just, you know, they made a song and a dance about this new network. And now this happens. Uh, what it, I think it was a rogue piece of software that, that failed or something like that it kind of does raise questions about things like redundancy. I don't know, there's not a lot of information available, so I guess I, I can't really analyse that. But it's interesting these days how much more affected we are when these things happen, because there are some businesses that almost solely rely on mobile communications. There are some pe- that's, for some people in the remote areas, or even in the urban areas, and just by choice, their internet connection is via a mobile network. And these days, it's not rare to have businesses that rely on the internet for their income. So this outage would have been a major thing for the businesses that rely on you know mobile internet or mobile communications. Telecom have offered those affected customers a day of free usage and a weekend of free calling to make up for the outage. And so they should. You know, there's not really a lot you can do. I mean, you can, I guess, run two accounts, but, I mean, that gets expensive. So if telecom aren't going to have redundancy, build it into your own business by having, I don't know, a Vodafone and a telecom connection. But, you know, you're paying twice the price. So there's not a lot you can do. Uh, I guess you could avoid telecom, but, uh, you know, that strategy is all very well until the same thing happens to Vodafone. So... Just an interesting quote, too, about the story. An Australian-based telecommunications consultant, Paul Budd, said that such a major fault should actually prompt a government review of mobile network supply security. He says, this requires legislation to make sure this can't happen by having redundancy networks in place. When the next disaster happens, it will be too late. You know, if it's to do with a, a poor design of the Telecom XT network and it happens again, then I, I guess people are... It's just going to be... Well, it'll be self-correcting. People will move off Telecom, then go to Vodafone. And folks, that's pretty much all we have for the Boys of Tech. That's the very last episode for the year. I'd like to thank everyone for supporting us throughout the year. Thank you to all our listeners. And don't feel shy about leaving comments on our site either. Boysoftech.com You don't even have to log on. Just punch in your comment and away you go. So thank you very much to everyone who supported us, who listened to us, who indexed us in their podcast directories. And we hope to see you all again next year. In the meantime, have a great Christmas, a very happy new year, and we'll see you in January. Alrighty, time to sign off. Thank you very much, everybody. Take care. See you next year. Bye-bye.